Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. What I'm going to do right now, I'm going to embark on something I'm just simply calling the gospel. Just the gospel. That's going to be the series. I can tell you it will take us a while to get through it. We're going to be in the book of Mark, and we're going to go all the way through the book of Mark. This was taking a little bit of time, and by that I don't mean a few weeks. I mean years. This is going to take us a while to go through it, okay? So for those of you wondering, what are we going to be doing this month? No, it's what we're going to be doing in the next 10 years. As, as God gives, uh, so it's it's going to take us a while. I I mean it. We're going to look not only at Mark, but we're going to be looking at the things that Matthew, Mark, or Matthew and Luke, and also John have said to t- say in that as well, as well as the doctrines that touch on that. There's some beautiful, beautiful things in the book of Mark that are going to be touchstones for us as we get through it. All right. Having said those things, let's embark. This says in Mark 1, 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's his opening sentence, kids. I want you to get the picture of this. He didn't give us a long, lengthy, introducing us to somebody in that's named Jesus. He just starts out, bap, right in the face. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the beginning of his gospel. That's a potent statement. This is the beginning of the gospel this is the new beginning. There was a beginning. There's the beginning of history. There's beginning when it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, that is a beginning. That's how this whole thing got started. And whether we uh, um, understand all the ramifications of all the sciences involved in it, this much I can tell you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Whatever science he was creating to make that work, whatever physics he was making, if I can say this, there weren't physics before he creates that. There wasn't chemistry before he created that. There wasn't botany before he created this. Everybody follow where I'm at? He's creating all of that at the same time. That's the God that's offered salvation to you. This is an awesome God. And he had that beginning. And John, one of the gospel writers, tells us this, that in that same beginning, the Word was already there. Matter of fact, the Word was God. And then John's going to tell us that in that same beginning, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And Mark just starts out, no background information. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So let's just examine what he's telling us right there. This is... Uh, if you remember in our study of the book of Revelation, Jesus himself claimed to be the beginning and the end. So if I can set this platform up like a, a, a stage or a timeline again, I'm looking over here. This is the beginning, and Jesus is saying, I am that beginning. This is what was before all that, and this is what the plan was before all that. And God the Father is speaking God the Son is creating, and God the Spirit is giving all of it life. He's animating the whole thing. It is Father, Son, and Spirit working together. 
And we have seen that beginning of creation. We've seen all the things that come up here. We've seen sin take over. We've seen conspiracies take over. We've seen all kinds of junk take over and ruin people's lives. Here is the beginning of the gospel. The beginning of the good news. What is the gospel? Well, gospel is good news. It's a good message. This is its revelation in time. It, but it is an old, old message. So if I go back to my timeline again, here is the beginning of history. Back here is where the old, old story begins. Everybody with me? It's back here. This is uh, up, up in the future up here is not a surprise. It's not an event in response or reaction. It is a proactive thing that happened back here, and it's right here. So if you've been looking for some good news, here's the beginning. This is how the thing started. This is how it all got initiated. All right? That gospel is good news. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, it's, it's interesting. When you look in the Bible especially New Testament, when you're coming across these names, don't just slide over it. Stop and think for a moment. Jesus, that's the, the human name that's given to him of this unique human that was born to Mary. If it was all that ended right there, then the story would just be about a man. But it goes on to say Christ. Can I say that's not his last name? I may be Doug White, but that's not, uh, that's my first and last name. He is Jesus Christ. That's not his last name. He is the Christ. That means the anointed one. That is the Greek word, Christos, for the Hebrew word, Hamashiach. Hamashiach means the anointed one, the one that God, from all of history and time, God's anointing one to bring the good news. This one, that's that seed that had been promised to Abraham. That's the seed that has been told he will bless all the nations. That's this one back here. A promise was made to Abraham and to his seed, to that one. This one was told he'd give everlasting life back there before all of time began. And right now is the beginning. What you're looking at is how did the thing get started, okay? Christ, the Greek word for the Hebrew Hamashiach. He is called the Son of God, denoting divinity and royalty. Listen, he's writing um, this, this in the time when you said someone was the Son of God, you were telling that this was a divine human leader. As soon as you said that, the Caesars were called the Son of God. Pharaohs were called Son of God. They were said to be literally coming from God. So when he's announcing here that Jesus is the human that is anointed by God, he is the Son of God, that means he is coming directly from God. He's divinity, he's royalty, this is someone you can trust. When he's making that announcement, he's writing this to Gentiles who don't know much about what the Jewish history is. But they can know this, they know from all their culture when you announce somebody to be the Son of God, you're talking about somebody who is the king, the ruler, the sovereign one. So the beginning of that guy's good news. Numbers, letter D in our outline. The start of the good news belonging to and proclaimed by the God-man, Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah. That's what he's telling us. 
This is the beginning, the initiation, the start of the good news that belongs to and is proclaimed by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a unique individual. There's never been one like him. He's about to tell us some good news that came from way back here. In time is now being revealed. We're now understanding this gospel that's come to us, this good news, this good message. It belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember in our study of the Revelation, Jesus was said to be the author of it all, the beginning of it all, the alpha of it all. This message isn't one that simply popped up somewhere along the way. This is the message that Jesus and the Father came up with that the Holy Spirit has confirmed. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Letter E in your outline. It's recorded for us by Mark. He's also known as John Mark in the scriptures. He was a cousin to Barnabas. He was the one that Barnabas and uh, Paul took with them on their first, Saul at that time, took on their first journey. And John Mark, young as he was, didn't finish the journey. He had to go back home. He, he said, I, I just can't go anymore. He went back home. And because of that, Paul said, when it came time to go on their second journey, Paul said, let's go, Barnabas, and let's see how the church is doing. Let's, let's bring some more gospel. Barnabas said, great, I'll get John Mark. He said, no, I won't go with John Mark's going. Nope, he can't come. He left us before. He's not going to be with us now. And they split over that. Can you imagine Christians splitting with each other? This is two solid believers, people. And they differed over something, and they went different ways. Can I tell you? Nothing in the Scripture says either of them were right or wrong. So if you're trying to figure out, is it right or wrong for me to split with somebody, don't use them. He doesn't say whether it's right or it's wrong. He just tells us that's what happened. Now listen, let's get this about. When we speak about the Bible being inspired literature, we mean that the Holy Spirit is guiding people in what they're saying. But it does mean this. It guarantees the accuracy of what they're saying. It doesn't guarantee the correctness of it. If David danced in the Holy Spirit, if David danced in his um, underwear, that is not an indication that God is approving of dancing in underwear. That's why I've never done it. Uh, you know, uh, I, I rejoice in the Lord, but I've never done that, and I probably won't in any foreseeable future that I can imagine, all right? My, 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 plan, my purpose for saying this is simply this. Because something said in the Scriptures does not mean you have its approval. It's simply telling you by inspiration that is what happened. That's what David did. But that doesn't mean that everybody's supposed to dance. It just simply means that's what David did. When you find a recording of somebody having 26 wives... That doesn't mean you need to have 26 wives. I mean, simply, that's what they did. Inspiration is guaranteeing the accuracy of that statement. Can I tell you, inspiration records lies. There are some lies told in the Scripture. Satan is the big liar, and the thing he told about it was a lie. But inspiration simply guarantees that that is what he did. He lied. All right? Everybody with me on that? So when you're, you're reading about Paul and Barnabas splitting up, it's not an approval for splitting up. 
just simply says, that's what they did. But Peter also liked this mark. We're not sure exactly uh, how Peter and Mark came into a relationship with each other. But like Timothy was to Paul, Paul said, Timothy is my spiritual son. He's somebody that I'm raising in the faith, somebody who spends a lot of time with me. Peter calls Mark his spiritual son. So he says that this is a young man that I spent a lot of time with. Later, Paul is going to say, bring Mark with you. Mark had improved whatever it was in Paul's estimation, and now Mark is coming to visit Paul while he's in prison. So Mark has a lot of things. There are some who believe that Mark is the young man that was in the garden with the Lord Jesus Christ uh, when, when all the disciples there and then when um, all the um, soldiers came in to take over the place and to arrest Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. It says one young man ran away, and as he ran away, they grabbed his cloak, and they grabbed it, and he ran away without his cloak. Some say that was John Mark. I don't know whether it was or it wasn't. I think that if, if there's a video when we get to heaven, we can watch and see who that really was. But I don't know that it's significant that we know. Do you? It's just one of those good trivial things that's a lot of fun to distract you. All right, here's, here's what it says. He was probably not an eyewitness of the Christ. So when you are reading the Gospels, remember Matthew and John were both eyewitnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's believed Luke must have also been an eyewitness. Mark is not an eyewitness. So Mark not a, probably not an eyewitness of the Christ. And it's reported, this gospel of Mark is reported to be the memoirs of Peter. Because he listened to Peter, because he learned from Peter, Peter told him, these are the things that happened to me. This, I saw what happened with the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the things that happened with Christ. And Mark wrote those down. Now, I'm saying that because I want you to get this. These are not necessarily in chronological order. The events that you're reading are not necessarily in chronological order. They're coming to us as Mark remembers them from what Peter had to say. You say, wait a minute, that, that doesn't sound like inspiration. What does inspiration guarantee? The accuracy of the material, not the order of the material. It may be the chronological order in some situations, but it's probably not. If you want the chronological order, it's probably better to read Luke, because Luke is probably more chronological than Mark is, and Matthew is probably pretty chronological, all right? But this is just him recalling the things that he remembered. And he felt it was important to write these things down. Why? Because Jesus is being known all over the Roman Empire right now. It's believed that Mark was in Rome when he wrote this. And he wrote this book to Romans who were part of the church. He's writing it to Gentile believers. So Mark's not going to spend a lot of time giving us a lot of Jewish background. As a matter of fact, what he's going to do is explain Jewish background to Gentile people who don't have a clue what it is. They've not been a part of the Jewish background. They don't know it. So Mark is going to explain some events. This is what it means when we did this. This is what it means when we had this celebration. Matter of fact, I believe tomorrow, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, <coughs> is Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, is that correct? Am I right, Roxanne? I thought so. Tomorrow is Yom Kippur. Yom is the word that means day. Kippur is the word that means covering. 
So if you kapoor something, you covered it up. Um, Abraham, or I'm sorry, uh, Noah kapoored the ark when he made it. He kapoored it with pitch. He put waterproof material on the ark so that the water wouldn't get in between all the the cracks. It was covering. The day of atonement means the day of our sins being covered, not removed, but taken away for that year taken away just for that time. They were covered. That's, that's what it's meaning there. They were not removed forever. They were just taken away then. As a, just as a reminder, Jesus has taken away our sins. Our Yom Kippur that we celebrate here every day is that our sins have been taken away. I don't bring a bloody offering. I'm not going to bring a bloody offering any place tomorrow. There's not a temple to bring a bloody offering to. I'm not Jewish, and I wouldn't bring a bloody offering anyway. Here's what we can know. Never again will anybody bring a bloody offering. Jesus came once into the holy place and offered his own blood once for all. So you're here today because of your great Yom Kippur. He has already paid for your sins in full. Number four, it's said to be written in Rome for Roman citizens who were primarily Gentile. Number five, unlike Matthew and Luke, he offers no Jewish background or proof of Christ's origin. He assumes it is known. He is offering us the accounts of his miraculous, divine, and human life. It's action-packed. He doesn't spend a lot of time. This is a short book. He doesn't spend a lot of time on the dialogue of Jesus. There is time spent on it. There's the teaching of Jesus are in it. But here he is trying to show us the action that Jesus did. Why? Romans were action-oriented people. They wanted to see action. They weren't necessarily looking to find lots of dialogue. That would have been the Greeks. The Greeks loved dialogue. They loved having conversations, the talks. But the Romans were action-centered people. Uh, They remind me of people today. We, we sometimes are a people that don't like to hear a lot of words. We're sometimes people that don't like to read because it takes too long. It's easier to watch a video. It's easier to watch a DVD. It's easier to watch YouTube than it is to have to sit down and actually read through something. That's the way the Romans were. People of action. They just wanted to see what's going on. What makes Jesus the Christ? What makes him the Son of God? And so they were using the, the action-packed gospel of Mark to see how that was done. And Mark is just recording to us the events that prove Jesus is the Son of God. But notice, he doesn't spend any time. Nothing about Joseph and Mary. There's nothing in here about the uh, trip to Bethlehem. There's nothing about any of that. And Mark is probably written before any of the other gospels were written. It's probably the first one. He's not giving us any background information. He's assuming everybody already knows the background information. You know this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So that's where he's going with his gospel. Number six, he wants us to know the good news does not have a human source, but is divine in its origin and delivered through God's own Son. Look how he brings it up. The beginning of the gospel of who? Jesus, if he just stopped right there, that would be a human-sourced information. But he calls him Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the Son of God. He's wanting to know that the message of the gospel isn't just some peace treaty that's being made between warring factions in Rome. 
No, this is a peace tree that's coming from the Creator to His created beings. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's got divine origins to it. It's not just simply a human tale. You say, that, but it's humans that are doing it. Yes, it is humans. All the, all the, the actors in the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ are all humans. But they are humans that are being touched by God. They are humans, especially the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God himself. That's the way the, the Holy Scriptures work. Does it have divine uh, human authors? Yes, it has human authors. God's using humans to bring his gospel. But he's inspiring those humans. He's guiding those humans in what they do so that when they record something, it's accurately true. It is what was being said. It was what was being done. He is guiding that. That's the same way it always is. Let me, let me just say, make this statement right up the beginning. All the way from the beginning, and this is a good concept for us to get to because it makes all the difference in the world. From the beginning, we were supposed to be in a divine relationship with God. From the beginning. That's the way it was supposed to be. That's not a thought that came later. Adam was supposed to learn from God. Now listen, here's why there's a great problem what took place in the garden. When the adversary comes to tempt Adam, to tempt Eve, when he's coming into that garden, he's tempting them to do something independently of God, not in union with God. He's telling them that God lied to you. You want to be like him, then you, all you have to do is eat of that fruit. That is not the way God wanted that man to be like him. Now, let me, let me take this step with you further. The plan from back here is that people would be like God. Are you with me? That's the plan from back here, that people would be like God. That's the plan that is carried out right here in that kingdom. That's the plan that's been working since the beginning of the gospel came. That people, if I can say it this way, and just hang tight with me. God became man so that man could become God. Now, I know that some are going <gasps> to hold back just a moment. Jesus said that you are in union with him, right? In him like he is in the Father, like the Father is in him, and that we are in him. I think this is an important part of the gospel that must be told again and again and again. You are to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is a divine unity with, the Holy, with God himself. That's a partaker with the Holy Spirit. Christianity oftentimes has been boiled down to our human effort to act like Jesus. That is an affront to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not counting on our action to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't come here so we could learn to be imitations of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came here to create a whole new people, a people who were children of God. 
Don't deal with that lightly. He means you're children of God. You have born, been born again of God. Everybody with me on that? That is the good news. If it's just simply that you're going to do like they did back here with Moses, that I'm just going to give you some new platitudes to follow, some new effort to do, some new things to do, there is really no point in having a new gospel. It is because he's going to make a whole new people who could fulfill the will of God. These people he created all this stuff to were independent of him and didn't listen to what he had to say. I'll get to that in just a moment. Jesus came to create a whole new people who were a people of God. So hang on to that thought, will you? Why is good news needed? What's the bad news? must have been some bad news someplace. Why do you need good news if they're, well, letter A. The creator of the heavens and the earth created and established the kingdom of God with two houses. The kingdom of heaven, including the angels and all the other spiritual beings, and the kingdom of earth, made up of humans and all the created things of earth. We've been through that before. I don't think I'm telling you anything new there. You've seen it before. There's the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven. They were both together in a mutual relationship. They are living together. They were living together in Eden to start with. You had angels that were in Eden. You had humans that were in Eden. You had all the animals and everything that's associated with it was all in Eden. Every one of the spiritual beings. Why? Because that was the throne room of God. It was only as rebellion is found in the kingdom of heaven through Satan and rebellion is found through the temptation of Adam and Eve, and now they're in rebellion. It's only as those two things that the kingdom of God split, that there is rebellion in the kingdom of God. When Jesus is coming, he is sending a forerunner before him saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. The whole thing's about to be put back together again. Repent of all of your independence. We'll get to that in a minute and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how heaven is going to be taken care of. That's how earth is going to be taken care of. He's doing something to throw out the rebellion in heaven. He's doing something to care for the rebellion on earth. He's putting the kingdom of God back together again, just as it's supposed to be. And that kingdom of God is going to have its expression over here as we read about in the book of Revelation. All of this is going to be the kingdom of God, and it requires a new people to get that done. It can't be the same old people that were back here at Sinai. It can't be the same old Gentiles that were practicing all of the pagan things they were practicing. It can't be those people that go into heaven. It's going or go into the kingdom of God. It's got to be a new people who have been born of God. Everybody with me on this? All right. Letter B. Rebellion against his rule exists in both houses. Chaos, sin, and death exist on earth. Turmoil and confusion has been created in heaven. God's long-suffering has allowed things to exist, but he is bringing it to a redemptive close. Okay? Here's the deal. We'll go all the way back here. Here's the beginning. I'm going to take us up here to the Tower of Babel. Here is where, uh, uh, well, I should come, I'll come before that. We'll come back here to the flood. 
Here at the flood, the rebellion's coming to a close. God's finished with it. And he brings a close to the whole human race at that point, except for the eight. Those eight live, and within 200 years, they've created the Tower of Babel. Within 200 years, they're in total rebellion against God again. Only this time, people don't want the, the angels to help them out with anything like they did before the flood. They want to be free of the angels. They want to be free of God. They want to be free of everything. They are declaring their independence. The Tower of Babel is a declaration of independence. You follow that? I'm not going to follow God. I'm not going to follow the angels. We're going to live our own life. We're going to make our own name. We're going to be our own kind of people. Everybody with me on that? So that rebellion continued on. You can't have that, that kind of people are not what's going to inherit the kingdom of God. That rebellion that went on there is what God is looking at uh, in, in uh, why he has to bring a gospel. God's long-suffering allowed those things to take place until this point where the promised Messiah, listen, he's been telling them all the way back here since Abraham, I've got one that's coming. Through all the prophets, he's telling them, I've got one that's coming. I've got one that's coming. He tells us through the Psalms, this my son, I have begotten my son this day, and he is coming. He's all, they tell us through Isaiah, my son is coming. The suffering Savior is coming. The, the, the one who's going to lead us out is coming. This one is the beginning of that good news. That's why it's called the gospel of Mark. Al, uh, Pastor Al spent uh, several times he's told us about when he was on um, deputation, when he was seeking support to go on the mission field, how one of the questions he always asked when he came into an area was, uh, what's the gospel? What's the gospel? And there'd be all kinds of things said about what the gospel is. And he'd come down and say, you know, the gospel's found in 1 Corinthians 15. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Mark's going to tell us about the death, burial, and the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's also going to tell us about the life of Jesus Christ. The gospel includes the life of Jesus Christ, because if he's not really a righteous servant, he can't really be the Christ. He's got to be someone who believes God. He's got to be someone who lives that righteous life before God. He can't be just any Jewish guy. He's got to be the Son of God. And if he's got to be the Son of God to rule over it, what do you have to be to be with him in it? Do you follow where we're coming from? It has to be a complete change that takes place in us. Call it born again. But it has to be a complete change. It's not just a matter of us acting better than we did before. It's not reform movement. It's a restored movement. He's bringing us back to what he planned before. Right? But that rebellion was going on there, and he tolerated that. The Lord Jesus Christ in number C, letter C in your outline. Jesus and his forerunner John have been sent to announce the coming or restoration of the kingdom of God in both houses. To all who receive this message and its messenger by faith, salvation will come, and they will be a newly created eternal people to all who reject it, condemnation and eternal separation from God will follow. Now look, our rebellion against God is simple. It just simply says, I don't need you. We got this. We know how to do this. What do you think it was back at the garden? 
When that temptation is taking place, they're being tempted by one who's telling you, you don't have to do this God thing. God, God will know that you could be like him. If you'll just eat this, act independently of God. Just do your own thing. If you will eat this, you'll be like him. And they acted independently of God. They declared their independence. And with that declaration of independence, they lost a relationship with the living God. Look, I'm going to take you up to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, here is God. He has shown himself to be almighty God. He has shown them through ten plagues, through some miracles he's already done. The, the Red Sea has parted. The, the Pharaoh's army has drowned. They've already had the healing waters take place. All of that's already taken place. They've come to Mount Sinai, and the whole place is shaking and quaking. It is on fire, and they are terrified of him. Yet, they have the gall to say, Moses, we know that if a man stands before God and a man talks to God and a man looks at him face to face, he'll die. We don't want to die. So you go talk to him. What? They're volunteering him to go die. They said, you go to him and you tell him, whatever he says, we will do. Kids, they are rejecting a relationship with God in order to do their own thing. When it was Adam and Eve, they rejected God, but they did their own thing and made themselves fig leaf aprons. We, we don't do that today. We use synthetic fabric. Fig leaf does not last like synthetic fabrics do. So when we want God to see how independent we are, we create our own little synthetic fabrics, our own little righteous ways to cover ourselves. You follow where I'm coming from? I think not. I don't think you follow me so far. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. We're not any different than they were. We're ready to create. We're ready to tell God, you tell me what you want done, I'll do it. That is an affront to the gospel. Why? Because you won't. You can't. You can't do what you said you're going to do. It requires absolute obedience to the living God. And you can't do what you said you're going to do. That's what he knew was going on in the first place. When he gave them the ten, when he gave the children of Israel the ten, and they had the nerve to say, just tell him whatever he says, we'll do. They couldn't keep the ten. Remember, they couldn't keep the first one. They already have a golden calf. They've already done there. They're not going to keep any of the ten. So he adds to them and says, really? Well, let's just add 500 more then. So he adds more onto them, and they have the gall to think they can actually do it. Look, the gospel has come to us, and that gospel for trusting it has put us in faith with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's put us in a relationship with Almighty God. To do Christianity any other way than the union with Christ is rebellion. No different than what Adam and Eve did. No different than what the children of Israel did at Mount Sinai. It's no different. You cannot live the Christian life 
without Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean that you're simply acknowledging who Jesus is. No, Jesus is living in you. He is living his life through you. It's not your volunteering to do something for Jesus. You can't do something for Jesus. It is Jesus working through you or it's independence. Is that making sense? Let me see if I can say it a biblical way for you. Abide in me and you'll produce fruit. The branch that does not abide in me cannot produce fruit. You following that? Walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If I walk in the flesh as a believer, I will not produce any spiritual fruit. Does that make sense? That's why there's the gospel. That's what's going to make this gospel such good news. It's a whole new approach to everything. It's not your effort anymore. You're dead in sins and trespasses. And when Christ crucifies that old man in you, the new man that comes to life is without sin. The new man that comes to life is the life of Christ. Let's see if I can see it another way. Letter D. Man's declaration of independence from God has killed him. He is separated from God and will perish in it. There's no way to live with that. There's no way to live in the kingdom of God at all, acting independently of God. It cannot happen. It won't happen. You have to be in a union with him. And that can only happen through being born again. I say, I know that many of you here are born again. But listen to what Colossians says. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. You received him completely by faith. You received him completely as dependent upon him and him alone. I know this. You can't have put yourself in heaven. Nope. Not possible. It's not yours to put You can't possibly have gained any righteousness before God. It's not possible. You believed what Jesus said about you, that he was dying in your place, and because he was dying in your place, you had everlasting life. You believed him for that. To walk in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to have to do it exactly the same way, not by human effort, but by faith in the Christ. We have more to look at as we look at this whole concept here. We don't want to be independent. We don't want to be doing the things that we're doing for Christ in our effort, in our own human effort. That's not the gospel, kids. That's just people trying to behave in a religious way. And I got to tell you, that religious man inside us loves religion. He just loves it and will do anything he can to make as many synthetic garments as he possibly can to cover up his lack of righteousness. Father, thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for what you're going to do as we explore the Lord Jesus himself. Please open our hearts to the truth of your word, Father. And I'm going to give you praise for that in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.
Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me just say this. If as yet that's not been uh, something you have followed, not been something you've understood, I hope that this day you'll let the gospel of Jesus Christ open you up, that you'll understand you'll never get to be in the kingdom of God living your own life. You'll never justify yourself. You have to be justified by God through faith in Christ. God bless you in the rest of this week. Let him fill you with his spirit. Let him fill you with the joy of the Lord. Walk away from here knowing that you are fully forgiven, fully accepted, and you are a child of God. God is creating things in you this week. You're going to have some challenges this week. You're going to have some things that look really good. You're going to have some things that look, ooh, kind of scary. Know this, every one of them are designed in order to make you like the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to the place where you can know He is a good God. And he's working good things in me right now. These are not problems he's given to frustrate me. These are things that he's given that are just like those he gave to his son, who loved him, gave himself for the Lord Jesus, for the, all of us, and in worship and praise of his Father. Let us be the same kind of people. Live the life of Christ that he's living in you. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.